We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain, living in Canada, and who's worked in the U.S. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite, with the exclamation point. Our topic today is what health care reform should mean for family caregivers. You know, what, what hosting Family Caregivers Unite has taught me is that family caregivers are passionate in their caring too often to the point that they exhaust physically, mentally, and even financially. They are too often unprepared for and too often unsupported in their family caregiving. They are too often unsure of where to go for all the advice, all the help, and all the support they need, and not just for things that healthcare offers. And yet they are so often inspired in the way that they travel the hard road of family caregiving, then pause, look over their shoulders, and hold out a helping hand to family caregivers who are just starting down that road. So here's the question then. What should healthcare reform mean for family caregivers? And to answer this and related questions, my guest is Mark Keeley. Now, Mark is a chief advocate for Keeley and Associates, Incorporated. He's a graduate of the University of Waterloo in Ontario, and he was also educated at Kent State University in Ohio. He's a lead voice in North America on health reform, integrated health and drug benefit plan enhancement, and healthcare policy. He's involved in various organizations and causes for patient advocacy. He served as the CEO of one of Canada's largest pharmacy organizations, He's advocated for the integrity of, integrity of drug supply between Canada and the United States. He was the first co-chair of the Pharmacy Council in Ontario, and that led to expansion of practice opportunities for pharmacists in an integrated health system. He's a member of the advisory board of the University of Waterloo School of Pharmacy, and to add to all of that, he's been an executive at a community hospital. Welcome to the show, Mark. I'm delighted to be here, Doc. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. And Terrific. I know you are too. <laughs> that is, thank you. Now, Mark, I want you 
to tell us a little bit more about your career and how you became involved in healthcare reform in particular? Well, uh, Doc, I've always um, had a bent for public policy. I, I was, um, as, a, as a child, I always uh, liked being uh, involved in politics, capital P politics. And when you're involved in politics, you automatically um, assume a role as trying to create some kind of policy. So I, I, I did that as a young man. Um, in my high school career, I was uh, involved in uh, not only debating but also athletics, which sort of uh, strengthened my body and my mind on those kinds of things. And then I got involved in, in practical politics. I was an advisor um, when I graduated to a former prime minister of Canada and uh, a former premier in a province in Ontario. And one of my uh, specialties, obviously, was um, uh, providing advice on health care because I really thought that um, that uh, health care uh, was one of the areas that was going to grow not only in our country but across uh, across the globe, which it has. I translated that uh, doc to um, a role as a um, as an administrator at a hospital, and the hospital was located east of the city of Toronto. I was there for quite a number of years, and we went through a whole restructuring, and that that was the first sort of my first foray into uh, what we're talking about today, because the hospital at the time was going through a very profound uh, acute care restructuring. And we were advised as a hospital if we would take on a role in rehabilitation medicine. And I readily embraced that as the uh, hospital administrator and fought very hard to assume that role, despite the fact that people in the community fought against it. I think I could be a prophet um, today by suggesting that um, that uh, rehabilitation medicine that was proposed for the hospital has sort of taken off in this country as part and parcel of what we call um, health integration, uh, which we're doing now. After I did that, uh, I decided that I would do some consulting and had uh, a pretty rich career over the, the ensuing years, in, in, and I mean rich not meaning uh, monetarily, but I think <laughs> helping uh, to make sure that these things ha- had sort of a, a policy legs and were instituted across uh, the country and and in other countries. And I did some work in Cuba. I did some work in uh, Eastern Europe. I did some work in China. I did some work in the United States and in Latin America on on health reform and on the establishment of what we would call emergency medical systems, all in the context, Doc, of of, um, uh, health integration. And, of course, you mentioned the fact that I was uh, the CEO of the uh, country's largest pharmacy organization, which I was, and we brought in, as a consequence of that role, um, drug reform in this country. But I'm really proud of the fact that what we did do was we stopped this, uh, I'm going to say, insidious practice of uh, selling Canadian drugs into the United States at a far less price than what was um, what is available for patients in the United States. But that created a, a very, um, I'm going to say, a, a dirty black market in Canada and a black black eye in Canada as a consequence because there were some nefarious sources that were that were getting these drugs from other places, whether it was uh, Asia or South Asia, and uh, they were fake. So we stopped that by creating a, a piece of legislation, and I'm, I'm happy to say I spoke at 22 legislatures in the United States to do that, and on Capitol Hill and in 2004 we passed a law to make it uh, illegal to have uh, medications coming across the border into the United States from Canada. What a great uh, story. Yeah, it would say it is a good story. And so here I am now. I think uh, one of the things that I'm uh, very proud of is the fact that uh, we are um, a firm that does a lot of work with patient advocacy. And I'm, uh, as I say, I'm just delighted to spend some time with you to talk about the issues that affect people across this great country and yours. Right. Now, I'm going to ask you something a bit more personal. That is, your own 
and your own extended family's experience with family caregiving. What experience have you had, and how has it influenced your thinking about healthcare reform? Well, I, I'm going to answer it this way. When I was an administrator at the hospital, we instituted a program at the hospital uh, for respite care. Now, that's not new to a lot of people. Respite care exists all over the place. But in the community and where the hospital was situated, we found that there were a number of families that had um, senior citizens looking after their mothers and fathers who were well into their 80s and 90s. So you had 60-year-olds looking after uh, 80 or 90-year-olds. And so the respite was really uh, put in place not to give those people who were living it uh, requiring 24-hour-a-day care at the homes, but for the moms and dads of the 60-year-olds who were looking after their 80- and 90-year-olds. So, so that sort of came into my consciousness. I now face the fact that my own parents, uh, who are in their late 70s, look after my mother's mother, my grandmother, who's 98 years old, and, and they don't have respite because it doesn't, it, they just don't get the opportunity to ever have some time away from this 98-year-old person who requires care 24 hours a day, and, uh, and uh, they have the responsibility for it. Now, something tells me that there's a system that's failing when a 74-year-old or a 78-year-old have to look after a 98-year-old, and there's nothing available for them to take hold of um, uh, or getting the kind of care for themselves for my 74 and 78 year old parents, so it, it's hit home. And I and I look at that and I I wish I could help. Um, I wish that I had enough uh, uh, time in the day to say to my parents, let me come down to Niagara Falls and uh, and give you a couple hours off. But it's just not practical. So it it does hit home, and yeah. it, it certainly made it very very uh, real for me all of the things that I've been doing over the last 22 years. And there are a lot of people in that situation, Mark. Well, I'm seeing more and more of it every day, Doc. Yeah. Now, I want to shift topic slightly in this way. Uh, tell us what you think are the three toughest challenges for healthcare reform in North America. Well, I, I'm going to answer it, it, it this way, and, I, and I'll, start, I'll start by saying I, I think we have to get it right. And when I, when I say that, you know, we... Policy is very important in healthcare, as you know. You've lived it all your life, and you've created policy, and you've been effective in that way. We, we, in Canada, I can I can say that we tried over the years to to do this right. Um, I'll reference uh, the Hall Commission in 1961, where in effect, Justice Emmett Hall decided that he was going to have a, you know, almost a three-month uh, a tour of the country to look at how we define ourselves in the context of how we deliver comprehensive and appropriate health care. But it ended up just covering hospitals and physicians. And, and I think the unintended consequence of that was that for-profit care sort of crept into the system, which is still in effect today. We've tried um, in Canada and in various ways to look at uh, community care access centers or to control it from the public system, and I think it's an important thing for us to do it that way. But uh, as I say, the, we, we still haven't got it right in terms of that, I'm going to say, the cliff that uh, caregivers really uh, fall over uh, because of, of this lack of, um, of comprehensiveness as it, as it relates to who gets covered and why. So, in effect, by trying to get it right, we've, we've ended up putting a lot of the, uh, the, the policy and a lot of the 
funding into institutional care, which is the most expensive and probably the least effective, and we've given it to, to providers, to it physicians. And I'm sorry that, that I have to say that, that you're a physician, but there are other caregivers that should be uh, compensated for the work that they do, and it gets lost. So that's number one. Number two, I think there needs to be a broader reach. I, I don't think that we have uh, the right policy in place to, uh, to extend to family caregivers. We talked before the show about this whole notion of, of volunteerism. And for all intents and purposes, when you look at caregivers and the work that they provide and the care that they provide, it, um, in an institutional setting, that person would be paid very handsomely. But at home, providing that care, it becomes uh, a lot of times a labor of love. And uh, you can quantify it by saying this is what it would do if it was institutionalized, but that just becomes a nice thing to know. Uh, you know, getting the broader reach, meaning we, I think we need to institutionalize that kind of policy in healthcare reform, and uh, we're pushing really hard to make that happen. The, the last thing that I, I want to reference, and I'll tell it as a story. I'm going to just interrupt you because we're actually going to go into the break, and I'm going to suggest we take the break now, and then I don't have to interrupt your story. But I am keen to get that third example out of you. Okay. So just let's go to the break, and then we'll get back to the story. Okay. So we do have to pay the rent. This is the time for the short break. This is Dr. Gordon Adley and my guest, Mark Keeley. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We definitely will be back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday afternoon at 2 Pacific, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Help, you know I need someone. 
You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to Family Caregivers Unite. And our guest, Mark Keeley. Our topic is what health care reform should mean for family caregivers. Now, I interrupted you, Mark, uh, because you were about to give us your third um, toughest challenge for health care reform. So let's go to that first. Sure. So just to, just to sort of recap, uh, Doc, I did talk about, you know, the, the sort of the history of getting it right and then the broader reach in terms of policy. But I wanted to give a practical example of, um, of, of what we need to do in terms of, of uh, a challenge for health reform in North America. A couple of years ago, I was invited to speak at a conference in Amsterdam. And uh, I was with a physician from another province in this country, and we were um, uh, making our, our presentation. And after it was over, um, some you'll probably remember her, uh, Dr. Barbara Starfield, who was president emeritus of uh, Johns Hopkins University Medical School. I uh, went up to the microphone, and sort of there was a hush over the room. And, and she said, you know, thank you for your presentation. It was uh, informative. But I don't understand why you folks in Canada think that your system is so good. Uh, number one, you don't tell anybody about what you do because you don't give out uh, that kind of information. Number two, you put you don't put the patient at the center. You don't put the provider at the center. You put your government at the center. And I and I thought you know that was a it makes it makes you embarrassed uh, to hear those kinds of things because it's true. Um, in a lot of in a lot of ways, <clears throat> I would I would suggest to you that that the system needs to put the patient and the family at the center not the government. And, and, and I'll, I'll use this as a real practical example, that if I'm a hospital CEO and uh, some patient comes in and says, I need this answer and I pay your salary, I'm obliged to say, no, you don't, because the system pays my salary. I answer to the ministry. I answer to the government. That's a folly. And I think that's a fundamental difference in, say, uh, the kind of, of policy that has to take place in a, in a publicly funded system uh, versus uh, what uh, is uh, the usual case in the United States, where they're for-profit-making hospitals. So I, I wanted to make that point very clear, that we need to put the patients and the family at the center and build all of that broader-reaching policy and the stuff I talked about at the, uh, at the outset of this whole segment with respect to getting it right, so that we had um, the right kind of provision of service the most appropriate and the most comprehensive where it belongs. And in this particular case, as it relates to family um, caregivers, it's at the home. Right. And so uh, I think that there, there needs to be a real push on that front. Right. Now, that takes me straight into my next question for you, which is we're still on the theme of challenges. So what are the particularly challenging challenges for family caregivers who are caring for health conditions among their family members, and what makes the challenges so challenging? In other words, get to the heart of the challenge for family caregivers, Mark, please. Well, I think, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, sort of reiterate some of the comments you made earlier on. Like this, this is, uh, for all intents and purposes, a segment of society that provides an you know, unlimited, num- uh, unlimited number of services in healthcare, but an unlimited number of, of, uh, of uh, comprehensive services 
without really being funded. So we, we have to get this funded, and we have to do it correctly. So I'm looking at a couple of things when you make that comment about uh, you know, challenging challenges, especially for caregiving, uh, caregivers. They're need, we need to formalize in this whole process uh, uh, an, an issue that relates to respite. I think that um, uh, it, it is, it's, it's terrible, when you, and, I'm, and I, I want to make that, that choice of words really stark. It's terrible that, uh, for all intents and purposes, caregivers are usually older people looking after older people. And if they get sick for looking after the older people, what happens to everything? It breaks down. So we have to formalize, I think, that respite. And uh, that requires, uh, you know, I don't know whether it's, uh, you, you can't really put a, a, a practical term on that, but you've got to get those people a kind of uh, vacation away from being a, a family care provider as often as possible so that they get some cerebral hygiene and they get some sun and they get to walk and they, get, they don't have the, the added burden all the time of looking after somebody who requires 24-hour day care. That relates to things like uh, the impact on the system. I think we 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 have a system right now that says if you uh, if you're in the position of, of of providing this care, the only avenue you have as a resource to 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 fix this is an eMERGE department. And look, I've seen this a million times where on Friday nights, Grandma's carted up in the car with her suitcase and she's dropped off at the eMERGE department and she's left there. And this, you know, these are, I've seen that at my own hospital, Doc, and I just, I look at that and I think that's not right. And it's not that they're bad for doing that, it's they have no other sort of formalized option to, to, to deal with this issue. And that's why I think these kinds of challenges have to be uh, readily made available um, in the healthcare system. Let me go back to my other comment, too, if I could, mm-hmm. about the fact that we have formalized policy so much, institutionalized policy so much that the politicians who are actually the decision makers in this don't have enough understanding of this as it relates to the challenges because they're just inundated with all of the uh, sort of the capital B bureaucracy of dealing with the massive health care um, uh, spend. In uh, the, the province of Ontario where I live, the, the, the spend per annum on uh, health care is almost $50 billion. That's a huge amount of money. And so you can't really say, you know, this segment requires as much uh, as, as much uh, attention as this segment. So we have to really look at that with a keener eye and a sharper pencil, but more appropriately um, as it relates to that historic uh, Hall Commission, the appropriateness and the comprehensiveness as it relates to challenges. Right. Now, flowing straight from that answer, let me put another question to you, which is how helpful are family caregivers to the health care system and in what ways are they helpful? That is, the family caregivers to the family health to the healthcare system. Well, you know, th- th- this is a very good question, and um, I- I'll say at the outset, I-, I think family caregivers. I would assume that would be a physician and uh, uh, others, uh, allied other other allied healthcare providers, are. Uh, they, they grapple with this issue, and I think it really does. It it it, it bothers um, the physicians I've spoken to, Doc. Would all tell me it bothers them that uh, there's this a gap or this schism in the system. And again, because we've institutionalized all this, we put a lot of um, um, a lot of attention, as it were, in the wrong areas. I'll give you this as an example. 
if I'm a physician and a patient uh, comes into my emergency department and I have to admit them, I admit them to acute care beds. And if they're chronic or they're, uh, or they, or they're um, uh, long-term care, I've inappropriately admitted them, and I've just cost the system a heck of a lot of money that needn't have happened. So we're not, we're not triaging appropriately, and we're not because of the institutionalization of, of health care, not only in, the, in, in Canada but in the United States, uh, has those kinds of, um, of uh, inappropriate uh, um, attention or inappropriate delivery of care to those patients requiring that. So you're, you're putting them in the wrong beds. And, and I think that um, one of the things we really have to do, uh, and, and healthcare providers are good at doing this, is to start to advocate for more optimal care at home. Uh, you know, it, it usually falls through the cracks that uh, caregivers are, um, are primary care providers uh, because uh, um, they haven't been, it, it isn't formalized the system. And, and unfortunately, uh, physicians and other healthcare providers rely on an eMERGE department to treat those kinds of patients. And that's also inappropriate and not very comprehensive. So that, that's where caregivers are starting, are, are starting to assert themselves into into that kind of a thing, but again, you know, you've got to look at it from in, in the context of how much energy should a doc or a, uh, uh, a a primary care provider, whether it's a nurse, nurse practitioner, etc., put onto uh, to that service when they're also looking at you know canceled surgeries, um, you know, uh, adult uh, morbidity, uh, child morbidity, uh, sexually transmitted diseases, uh, infectious diseases, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It becomes a very complicated issue. Right. Now, that turns again round into the next question on this, and that is the help that family caregivers, and I'm thinking about your parents looking mm-hmm. after your grand- grandmother and all the people like them, maybe grandparents looking after not children but grandchildren. What help currently does the healthcare system provide to those family caregivers, and in what way is the help lacking? Well, that's another great question. I'd say in some cases, you know, again, I'll go back, and I, and I sound like a broken record saying this. There, there isn't um, a, a code uh, for a, a fee that's reimbursable to a family caregiver, which is a shame. I really believe it's a shame. But the system has reacted in, in North America to say, well, we'll provide, in some cases, uh, some tax credits for, for caregiving at home, um, which is uh, not bad. And then in some cases... You know, we look at it uh, in the context of uh, of uh, insurance, whether it's uh, insurance that was provided by the, um, the the person who's receiving care or the family who has um, the burden of having to endure that. That insurance could certainly cover that off. But um, you know, home care exists. We uh, we have primary care, you know, personal care or, or, or primary care workers. They exist, but it's really rationed care, and that, that's uh, something that I really feel strongly about. I I don't believe that we should ration care at all. I think it's very disrespectful. I think it's not good enough. And, you know, when you look at things like, and I've heard, I've heard politicians talk about it, well, you know, we have a program where you get a bath a week, you do $1.67 worth of food every day, um, and they, 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 you know, it's a prescriptive uh, um, exercise, and I just don't think that's good enough for, for what uh, family caregivers need. They need some, uh, I think they need primary attention to this. It needs to be enshrined uh, you're talking about it from the, in the context of what family caregivers could do uh, to get the health system. It needs to be, it needs to be really. Uh, there's a, there needs to be a very robust discussion on this and a debate. And uh, I think if you're looking at numbers, numbers speak, right? And we're having a, 
you know, we the demographics favor uh, a very large cohort here who are looking after uh, people um, who are looking after their moms and dads, uncles and aunts, or even their their uh, children in a lot of ways. Uh, that have to be that this all has to be addressed, and it and it and it has to be done in a way that that takes advantage of their subject matter expertise, their um, uh, their energy, and frankly, the number of people is a it's a staggering cohort, and I think we should be uh, we should be looking at that when you talk about caregivers unite. I think that's a that's a challenge and a threat at the same time to governments, and uh, I think it's uh, it's something that we should be uh, looking at in both countries. Uh, to uh, to try to change policy. I think uh, just a quick comment back to you before we go into the break, and that is it's also a matter of fairness, isn't it? That is to say the system is benefiting from all this unpaid activity, all this unpaid work, all this commitment by families to their family members, not recognizing it or uh, you know, not providing help that's really needed isn't fair to the people who, as I've said before, and I believe this very passionately, are exhausting themselves physically, mentally, and financially, doing what they believe is right for the people in their, in their families. And so, uh, you know, the word social, the phrase social justice sometimes gets a bit overworked. But I think to the extent it means fairness, I think fairness is what we're talking about here. I, I agree with you 100%. I'm, 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 I'm continually frustrated when I hear policymakers and policy decision makers and politicians talk about this, and they use sound bites and they, you know, it, it just, it, you know, to make the, the crude uh, sort of political spin about it, it's well said versus well done. That's right. Now, you know, we, we, haven't, we haven't seen the kind of reform that we need in both, well, I'd say across North America, and all of the demographics right now are favoring, um, and I, I don't want to be hyperbolic about this, Doc, but I can tell you that it's, it's going to become very problematic. Now, I'm going to stop you there because we do have to go to the break, but I'm going to pick you up on that after sure. the break. Sure. So let's go into the break. This is Dr. Gordon Athley, and my guest is Mark Keeley. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay tuned. We will be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Each week, take a visit inside the locker room of your favorite sport with Dez Clark. Paul Fresh Clark and Lester Scudder Davis as they bring you sportsmanlike conduct. As a current player, Des Clark can bring you inside the sports world like nobody can. His co-hosts represent the fans of the sports world. With both points of view on the table, it becomes an engaging and entertaining program to say the least. Sportsmanlike conduct can be heard Tuesdays, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. 
Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio, Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Help, you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to Family Caregivers Unite and Mark Keeley. Our topic is what health care reform should mean for family caregivers. So let's now talk about the health conditions for which family caregivers need more help and about the help they need. So first of all, Mark, what do you see as the health conditions which you believe family caregivers need more help for and what sort of help is it that they actually need more of? Well, let, let me before I get into the specifics of that, I just want, as a principle, I think, you know, we're looking at. I talked earlier on about uh, this cohort and a and a demographic, and I think that you know people are choosing to live at home longer, but more importantly, those who are in the business of well, excuse the expression, those are those who are providing uh, caregiver services um, at home are really loath to have. Uh, somebody institutionalized. There's um, there are a whole bunch of reasons for that, and I talked about that earlier on. You know, you get you you you, you sort of you, you have a prescriptive um, uh, regimen for that for that person, and that becomes problematic. I think you know baths once a week or, or or these kinds of things. But but if you look at what's happening in the uh, I'm going to say across North America with respect to health conditions and the health of people um, writ large, we're seeing greater cases of Alzheimer's and dementia. We're seeing uh, infirmities. We're seeing stroke, and we're seeing the, you know, the, the latent onset of, <clears throat> excuse me, of diabetes and, and the consequence of things like dialysis and all of those things that require uh, family caregivers who are looking after uh, elderly parents or informed children, these kinds of issues. It requires, uh, you know, a heck of a lot more care and attention. Now, one could say, uh, that that we we what are the there are a couple of things we need to do <clears throat> and that is to uh, extend access to you know to 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 PCWs our personal care workers or these kinds of things and right now I could say just as a as an aside we're very much involved at uh, at our organization in trying to regulate uh, I'm going to say personal care workers uh, a lot more than they are right now to add some responsibility to the system, and that's something that I really believe in firmly. I, I also think, you know, the, if we're looking at the health conditions uh, where they need more help, um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to my comment about if we, we, we don't need to be so, you know, um, 
I'm going to say principled as it relates to, you know, these are the issues that we're going to have to concentrate on because they get priority over something else. Um, I think too we've got to we've got to look at the role of the caregiver and extend some kind of support for them as well as it as it relates to the work that they do, whether it's you know diverting money from hospitals to homes and home care providers, and as a consequence caregivers, and to get respite. I think it's really important that we we offer respite, and I don't want to overlook that point because uh, uh, we don't want to have people who are caregivers looking after somebody who's uh, sick with a um, a constant need for attention for them to be sick. Uh, so I, I really wanted to make that point, and I think that's where uh, they need more help. And I and I really I really think if, if we're smart about how we divert uh, money out of institutional care into those into those kinds of things, we'll have a greater quality of life for people who are providing the care and those who are wanting to stay at home longer. Right. You mentioned some of the ways in which that help right. would be increased and improved, but please talk more about where the help you have in mind should come from and in what form should it come is it for example you talked about personal service workers is it more of them um and if it is what else um should come with it if anything well look I, i i could make the uh uh the comment that it's you know and this is this is what you you see during campaigns and and uh, I think uh, people on both sides of the border are really tired of that nonsense where you just say, we need to do this, and it's real Pollyanna. But I think if you looked at a healthcare system, and look, you and I are both experts in how you develop an emergency medical system and how you, how you, how you divert funds or how you create a, a process where, in effect, you have the most appropriate level of care funded the most appropriately. So if we look at it from that perspective, we don't have a system that's dynamic enough to deal with family caregiving services. We're just not equipped on both sides of the border from a public policy perspective to deal with that. We, we have a system in this country that's built on a publicly funded pro, uh, uh, system that's privately delivered. Now, when, they, when you say that, you put a whole system in place and you say you've got, uh, you've got acute, you've got secondary, you've got tertiary, quaternary, you've got chronic, you've got long-term care, and there's nothing in there that I don't see anything that says here's for caregiving. There, it's, it's been overlooked. It's a cohort that's actually growing. It's uh, becoming a necessity, and the system is not uh, keeping up to it. I don't know whether that's because there's not enough lobby. It's not sexy enough. Um, it's at home. It's hidden. We talked about that earlier on. That's the kind of thing that I think has to be really brought out and entrenched into the system. Secondly, I think you know I'm, I'm involved very much in this whole drug reform across North America, and one of the things that we've done um, is we're looking at who ought to pay in a lot of ways for um, uh, drug uh, the, the drug programs, and in a lot of in a, in a lot of cases, Doc, we're looking at things like um, uh, secondary payers or second payers. Uh, so government could be a second payer, and the first payer could be that uh, person's plan. And I think insurance could could play insurance or uh, coinsurance or reinsurance, however you want to call it, uh, could really become a part and parcel of this. If it wasn't out of reach, so uh, we, we need to make it very. We need to needs to be an incentive uh, for um, uh, companies and insurance companies and uh, corporations to play a role uh, for those people who are who are working and providing care as well. And obviously, the uh, the attention ought to go to if I'm if I worked uh, 60 years before I retired, 
in uh, such and such a company, and I'm now requiring 100% caregiving that 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 to that company where I work could actually play a role, and I think other incentives too. We've got to look at at some practical incentives for um, I'm going to say for a system to look at having caregivers provide that care at home with good outcomes. Uh, right now, the the incentive is it's your mom and dad, it's your uncle and aunt, it's your it's your son or daughter. These are the kinds of things that um, that uh, I don't think are are, uh, are are going to be left unchecked. I think it could become a very big problem for us. Right now, you've pointed out uh, quite clearly some ways in which, or ways in which, the healthcare system, I'm speaking broadly now, really isn't being helpful or sufficiently helpful. So that raises the next question: Is all right? To what extent does healthcare reform, as it's now being discussed and as it's now viewed, provide for more help for family caregivers of the kind of help that you think they need? Well, I, I, I think that's critical. I think what uh, you know, this is probably the, the nub of the whole issue. And um, I, I could give a, give a sort of a, a cross-border uh, perspective, if you want. Um, Please. From, from this perspective, I think in, in Canada... Our, uh, our system is built that you have a, a confederation. That means you have a federal government and you have uh, provincial governments. And we've separated the delivery of services in health care uh, to the provinces, but the feds transfer payments to the provinces in order for that thing to be, uh, to be uh, funded appropriately. I think that there needs to be greater dialogue if I'm looking at Canada on that critical issue of health reform so that the feds and the provinces have... Um, have, um, I'm going to say, good cooperation and good coordination of those kinds of services. That leads to, I'm going to say, in this country, Canada, uh, real good local health integration. <clears throat> I'm a firm believer that you should have um, health care as close to home as possible, and it should be funded appropriately. And that leads to greater access um, in things like, uh, you know, we have uh, what we call in this country community care access centers that actually can provide that kind of, of service um, on a greater basis with greater accessibility uh, to the homes. And if we look at, at that in the context of what's happening in the United States, where in effect the federal government is now, um, I'm not saying they're, they're abrogating that responsibility, but they're starting to realize that we need to have, uh, we need to push that down to the state level. And at the state level, there's greater, I'm going to say, uh, uh, help required and it, it sort of goes under the whole notion of Obamacare, uh, but in the con- in the context of what's happening on that large cohort that I talked about, there's seemingly a greater sense that you have in different in in each of the states a different kind of need as a caregiver uh, than you would. That goes back to your original question about you know what kind of services you could provide. You can't have a wide swath because it would be different in Florida than it would be in Washington State. So those are the kinds of things that I think. Uh, uh, would 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 lend themselves to you know critical reform uh, that um, that uh, that should happen and, and and unfortunately a lot of times it's it's more well said than it is well done. Yeah. Now we're going to take another the the break um, very soon, but I'm going to be asking you in the final episode or the final segment rather, what exactly um, healthcare reform should do to get the major players, we'll define those, to actually do something along the lines you're talking about. 
because what you've really been saying, Mark, and it's come through very clearly, all is not well, and we're missing important things. And what's more, and this is my term, but what I allocate to you, is it's all unfair to people who are taking on a heavy burden, not just on behalf of their families, but on behalf of, of their communities, their nations, and their healthcare systems. So we'll go into the break now, and then we'll come back and we'll deal with those uh, those uh, meaty topics. So sure. break now. Okay, Doc. This is Doc Gordon Adley, and my guest is Mark Keeley. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We will be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at my. M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and uh, Mark Keeley. Our topic is what health care reform should mean for family caregivers. Now, one of the things, challenges that family caregivers face is this, that all the other big players in health care, like physicians and hospitals and the the rest, uh, have voices which are loud enough to be heard by government and 
they have the influence that caused them to be responded to. I don't think family caregivers have that yet, that kind of level of voice and persuasiveness that they really need. So my questions in this last segment to Mark are going to be, all right, let's put you in the position of advocating for family caregivers and answer me these questions. And the sure. first question is, how should healthcare reform stimulate government to do more to help family caregivers? Well, that, that's a great question. And um, <clears throat> I think, in, in, you know, left unchecked, I think um, uh, nothing would happen based on what you said. If you look at all of the big, I'm going to say, lobby groups or the, the, the big attention getters, you would have uh, hospital associations that would be huge. You would have nursing associations and doc associations and uh, community associations that would have very loud and very well-funded voices for this kind of thing. And, um, you know, if we we're going to be looking at this in the context of health reform and, and driving that kind of change from family givers into government, it has to be from the ground up. And, uh, you know, again, I, I, I hearken back to the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. If, if it was a united front, and I don't want to, I'm not advocating, you know, some kind of uh, political action. I'm just suggesting that, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, if that, it, this cohort is growing, Doc, and uh, that we just, we really need to, it needs to be heard, and those voices need to be heard in a way that's, uh, it, that, that represents the, uh, the needs and the aspirations and the help that is required for not only family caregivers but those who are getting the family care um, in in a way that that it that is that is it, it's it's cogent it's a, it's based on subject matter expertise considered opinions and with I'd say good modifiers. Let me give you this as an example. We do a lot of work in pain management, and pain management the the, the issue that you had that we had to fend off right from the start was that somebody who had chronic pain was constantly going to their family physician. The problem with that was the family physician wasn't trained in how to manage effectively that person's pain, so the person became sort of like a hamster on a wheel. They were always, always dealing with the, with the physician. The physician became frustrated. The patient became frustrated. They weren't put on a good enough uh, program, and uh, it just uh, it, it sort of broke down. So what we managed to do in terms of reform of the system was to create a, a, a pain management uh, a scope of practice for some physicians who became subject matter experts in that. Now, we have gerontologists. We have uh, uh, specialists in whether it's in uh, those patients who require dialysis or so, so uh, nephrologists or we've got um, um, uh, physiatrists, et cetera, et cetera. But there isn't really a discipline for family caregiving that you have to have all of these players who are looking at that, uh, that issue and, uh, and deciding with the family the course of action for the, for the, the family uh, who is providing the care and the person that's getting the care, even, even going back to that whole issue on, on respite. So I, I get very emotional about it, and I, I guess my call to action is we need to be, you know, we need to, I'm going to just take a, a page out of your book, and we really need to politicize fairness when we're talking about this. Uh, that's going to stimulate government uh, because they see that the cohort is growing and numbers talk. Right. Now, you've talked about the healthcare system and all its big players and loud voices and influential influences. Um, how should um, healthcare reform stimulate that system, the healthcare system, 
to do more to help family caregivers? That's a great question, and, and, I, and I don't want to be flippant by saying this because it's a, that's a Herculean task to, uh, yeah. to get the system to change uh, the way it operates. It doesn't matter where. It could be in, uh, in New Mexico or it could be in Newmarket. The point of the exercise is that we've got to look at this in the context of how you move um, uh, the appropriate resources and the appropriate policy uh, to where it belongs. We, we, we are now subscribing to a concept or a, or, or a healthcare system that is closer to home. And uh, there, there's no greater closer to home issue than uh, family caregiving. And so it, if, it's, if, it's not being, if it's not being, A, recognized well in terms of policy or funded appropriately in terms of, uh, of this, then I think that we have to look at how the system operates. And I, I really believe there needs to be some, some tender discussion and some real, as I say, some, some entrenched um, thinking in how we deliver services in a, in, a, in a system. We're very good in Canada, I should say, worldwide on, de- on designing emergency medical systems that we, we always stop. We always stop at clinics. We don't, we don't actually go the, the, the next step. And I think um, in, in a lot of cases, if we were to, uh, to look at it by just going one step further and uh, I, I just love your comment about politicizing fairness um, as it relates to where that cohort's growing in terms of uh, uh, the need for uh, patients to stay at home longer who want to and, uh, or need to uh, and maybe have no choice, uh, then I think um, we could see uh, the healthcare system react appropriately. That would uh, make people like you and me um, very, very happy and make our advocacy work pay off. Yeah. You know, there's an interesting and very a point that I've got to make very quickly, and that is more and more the healthcare providers like nurses and physicians are becoming family caregivers within their own families. And this is called double-duty family caregiving, where during the day you look after people who aren't your relatives, and during the night you look after people who are your relatives. Yep. And that, I think, is something that we need to build on, not particularly because it creates that level of awareness. Right. So um, we are coming to a close on this very important topic, and I would encourage our listeners very much, please, to get back to us by email. Um, We'll be very pleased to respond to any comments you have to make, and particularly any suggestions of moving things forward. So I want to say thank you, first of all, to our listeners, and uh, I emphasize, please, that we're very open to comments and questions. I want to say thank you to Mark for sharing, us, sharing with us his experience, insights, and his advice, and particularly the strength, his emotional strength in believing in the work of family caregivers. So all success to you and your work. And in our next episode, we're going to talk about recreation therapy and family caregiving. Please join us, same time, same spot, on the Internet. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate-
appreciate you being right.